in the house of the Lord, isn't it? We'll be here an hour earlier here in a week or so, <laughs> our body time. Welcome to Park City's Presbyterian Church. It's good to see you. Let's go now to the Word of God for our message, and our scripture reading is from the book of James. We're coming to the close of the book of James. We have just this passage and one more to look at. Then we'll be, of course, into our Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday season. It'll be a wonderful time to enjoy that. But just like many of the ancient epistles, not only written by the apostles in Holy Scripture, but other letters as well, they would end the uh, epistle with what was known as a health wish. They would wish someone good health and wholeness. And, uh, and that's, I think, what James might be moving toward here in this passage here in chapter 5, verse 13 and following. He asked three questions. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months. And it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of the message is The Prayer of the Powerless. The word prayer is mentioned seven times in this passage. I think we can see what James is driving at. It is a call to prayer. And the example of a prayer warrior that's given is the prophet Elijah. And the incident in the life of Elijah that is cited is in his confrontation, which is found in in, uh, 2 Kings 17 and following. The instance there is that Elijah had to deal with the wicked king of the northern kingdom, Ahab. The great Baptist preacher R.G. Lee started his famous sermon, Payday Someday, with a description of Ahab. It stuck in my mind. I remember hearing the sermon down at First Baptist when I was about six years old. And I remember he started off the sermon. He said, I introduce to you Ahab, the vilest toad that ever squatted on the throne of Israel. That'll stick with you. And that's who Ahab was. He was one of the most wicked, if not the most wicked king. And it was the calling of Elijah to deal with this king throughout his entire ministry. Elijah, what a call. I would much rather be called to be an assistant pastor at Park City's Presbyterian Church in the 21st century in a Christian community with a Christian... It's a lot easier. In fact, a lot of times I feel guilty that my call has not been to a more challenging place. But I promise you, I would never want a place like the ancient prophets had. In fact, 
Just a few verses earlier, remember, he mentions the prophets, the prophets as suffering. Remember, Isaiah suffered rejection and martyrdom. Uh, Jeremiah was uh, imprisoned and was ridiculed and mocked and was brought to a point of abject discouragement. Uh, Ezekiel was exiled. Daniel was imprisoned. And you can go through the list of prophet after prophet suffered all kinds of, of maladies and afflictions throughout their lives and ministry. And I think this passage is what it's talking about. Just a few verses earlier, he's talked about the sufferings of life, the trials of life that come upon us. And I used the illustration a couple of Sunday mornings of like play, play and playing the game in the schoolyard of dog pile where something comes and then someone stacks on someone else and the kids pile each other and they, they just keep piling on the man. And that's the way our troubles come to us, our trials. They come to us just piled up. There's a personal affliction, then there's a relationship affliction, and then there's vexation of soul, and, and including physical illness. And they suffered great trials. Elijah suffered all kinds of depression, fear. There were times when he ran for his life. There were times when he would hide out. There were times when he was discouraged and even prayed to die despondency and discouragement come upon us. I don't know where you live, but I live there. I, I, I have a wonderful life, but things just keep pushing in on me. There are things I have to deal with constantly. And it's easy to bring you to the point of discouragement. And remember, the strong word in this epistle, as it is in several others, is that we undergo and we endure and we are steadfast under these trials and these afflictions. And that's literally what the word means there. It says, anyone among you suffering. Suffering is the vexation and the toils of, of a number of things. And if you're in that condition, if you're suffering, if you've got a problem, if you've got an issue, if you have something in life that is getting you down, then the admonition is to pray. And it's the prayer that we pray that is the prayer of weakness, of desperation. It's the prayer we pray. The word pray here that's used seven times, the root idea of it, of, of prayer, it means a deep longing. Sometimes called a wish, but not in a wistful way, but in a deep longing, a desire, something you need, something you must have. Something without which you cannot go on. And you desire it from God and you long for it and you need it and you know you need it. And so your heart cries out, Lord, I need that. Help me. And in the asking you say, give it to me, O Lord. I must have it. And that's what James called for in the very outset of this epistle. You remember a few weeks back or back in the early fall when we started this series, we got to that very first uh, chapter. And listen to these verses here. He says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You're in this suffering. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he said, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives generously. He says, 
But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If he's double-minded and unstable and lacks faith. So what James has never, never gotten off that beam. He's on that same wavelength telling us in that circumstance of life wherein we are suffering, we're to pray, we're to call upon the Lord. It's interesting, he says, and perhaps some of you have found a state of, of certain rest of certain satisfaction, as it were, peace in the midst of your storm. And that's what that next phrase means, is, is, is anyone cheerful? That's what that means. It, 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 it's a, a, a peace in the midst of the storm. If that's your condition, if the Lord has given you peace in the midst of your trials and your troubles and your suffering, then praise the Lord for it. Let Him sing praise. Literally, let Him pronounce a psalm and there are many psalms in the Bible we could use to praise the Lord. For in spite of our affliction, the Lord has enabled us to endure. He's sustained us. He's held us. He's up, uh, upheld us in every way. And so that is what you're to do if you're finding some help. If the Lord is answering your prayer then you need to be thankful and praise Him. The third question he says, is there anyone among you sick? And the word here is where we get in our title, the word powerless. Paul Goebel came up with the title. This is his sermon. I just sort of warm up a little bit every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, but it's the, it, it means literally weakness. It means being spiritually mentally, and even physically weak. It's this, Paul uses it in all three of those senses in his letters, especially in 2 Corinthians when he talks about coming to the Corinthian people in weakness. It's a physical weakness. It uh, is not just a malady of the body. It's not just an illness. It's not simply that we have a certain disease that can be diagnosed and treated. It certainly may entail that. In fact, some of our most serious troubles and suffering and affliction come from disorders and diseases and distempers of our body. But, but it's, it's much deeper than that. In fact, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that this passage really goes beyond the physical to the spiritual. This is really a passage speaking to your soul, not just your body. And so when he says, is any sick among you, it's not just are you having a, um, an, an illness episode of your physical body, but are you finding yourself in that condition that is downtrodden? The book of Hebrews uses the same word over in chapter 12 when it talks about undergoing all the trials of life and the temptations said that, that you may not be weary and faint-hearted. So the condition here that's primarily in view is, is the general spiritual condition of your soul. And what should you do when you find yourself in that discouragement, 
in that faint-heartedness, in that weakness, to use an old-fashioned word that some of the old Victory Life preachers used to preach, when you're defeated, when you're flat of your back, when you're down, when you've either stumbled in a sin or you've been oppressed by a trouble, what do you do? Well, here's where I think it's a good admonition that James gives us and something that we need to ponder as far as our ministry is concerned in our philosophy of ministry. He says, let him call for the elders of the church. Do you suffer alone? You shouldn't. Do you suffer in silence? You shouldn't. Do you suffer to the point where it becomes a total defeat in your life? Spiritually, you shouldn't. You should call for those that God has called and gifted to be the nurturers of your soul. Those that God has called and, 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 and placed by the laying on of hands in place to lift you up, to pastor, to feed, to encourage you. And you call for the elders of the church and let them pray. Pray like Elijah prayed. That's who's doing the praying here in this particular part of the passage. It's the elders. Do we as elders pray like Elijah prayed? Elijah's first prayer was that the Lord would withhold rain as a sign of his provident power over the wicked king Ahab, who had a lot of prosperity and was quite um, lifted up and proud in his own heart and quite wicked. And God, through the prophets, sought to bring him down to his knees. And so he brought about famine in the land and a drought. And Elijah prayed. The text says that Elijah was just like us. Elijah was just like our elders. A mere person, a mere man, a mere human being. See, the power is not in the man. The power is not in the prayer. The power is in God. In fact, what it said, he said he prayed fervently. That's an interesting turn of the phrase in the original language. Is his, he in, in praying, he prayed. Prayer is emptiness, asking to be, full, to be filled. Prayer is weakness, asking for strength. Prayer is darkness, asking for light. It's hunger, calling for food. Nakedness, calling for clothing. That's what prayer is. It's powerless. It's empty. Elijah was empty in himself, but he called upon a mighty God to help him. In fact, Elijah's whole ministry was characterized by prayer. What kind of prayer by what kind of man or person reaches God and what kind of God is he? That's what Mount Carmel was all about. Praying and calling upon God to bring down fire from heaven to ignite the altar and the sacrifice on the altar. And Elijah there in his challenge to the prophets of Baal called upon God, the true God, who finally sent the, the fire. The prayer 
is a fervent prayer, but it's a prayer of weak, powerless, helpless, needy, suffering people. Can we understand that this gospel is for the weak, the needy? It's not for the whole. Physicians are not needed by the whole and the healthy. A Savior is not needed for righteous people. But it's the unrighteous and the ungodly and the helpless. And what is the locus of our helplessness? The locus of our helplessness is sin. That's the malady. That's the sickness. It's not a virus or a germ in our body primarily. It's not a disease of our body primarily. It is sin and the affliction of sin that has brought us to this place. The prophet Isaiah pointed this out. This is one of the reasons I think Isaiah was so unpopular as a prophet. <laughs> he starts out his magnificent prophecies with this particular statement. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head there's no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And when you find yourself in that helpless, sinful state, you need to be calling for the elders of the church. You need to be calling for the men who dedicated themselves to the ministration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who hold the healing balm of saving grace and who are able to dispense it. The passage here says you call for the elders of the church and they pray and they anoint with oil. I don't think that James here is doing a novel thing and that is initiating a healing ritual in the church. Anointing and there's a lot of discussion. I won't go into it about was he applying medicine because you remember oil was used as medicine in the ancient world. Are they applying medicine or are they doing something that is only to, to have a place to touch, to minister pastorally, pastor, pastorally to, to show care and concern? Uh, the word to anoint means to not only to pour over but to kind of rub in is it, is it a, a way to connect with the person that is suffering? And then has it become so much as a holy sacrament as some of the church has begun to interpret over the centuries that it has evolved into a rite and a ritual and in fact it is used even when someone is at their last moments of life with extreme unction? Or what is the anointing with oil? The anointing with oil in Scripture. Study the anointing all through the Bible. There are fluids that are used in anointing. Blood was an anointing fluid. Water, an anointing fluid. Atoning and cleansing. Wind, breath is an anointing fluid. The breath of God 
coming over someone and empowering someone. And oil was used. But oil was always used as a consecration, a setting apart fluid. In other words, God anointed. Kings were anointed. Moses anointed Aaron, the high priest, and the priests were anointed. The anointing was to, to put upon them the symbol of consecration, being holy, set apart to the Lord. And this is what the elders do when they pray for those that are struggling and suffering, whether it's a physical illness or an emotional illness or a spiritual problem, whatever it is, is they're setting that person apart putting them, as it were, in a place of restoration and wholeness. And listen to the language that's used of what will happen when the elders do this and pray, pleading with God to use His power. Notice the three things that are said. They will be saved, raised up, and sins forgiven. That's salvation language. God will rescue them. He will save them. He will raise them up. He will put them back on their feet, not only to live all the days of their lives, but to be raised in the resurrection when Christ comes. And the first fruits is joined with the rest of the harvest in the great resurrection. But the key thing is their sins will be forgiven because that's the root of the problem. Here's our real problem is we're sinners and we need to be forgiven of our sins. And there's only one thing that'll do that. And that is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And notice that's what, what's happened. They are anointed in the name of the Lord. And the prayer will save the one who is weak or sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And this happens in community. I don't think here it's even authorizing what's known as a divine healing service where the sick are brought to the, to the elders or to the pastor or the preacher or to the divine healer who has arrogated into himself powers that may not be divine. It's the elders going as shepherds to the fallen and the lost and the suffering sheep and ministering the gospel that saves the whole soul, body and soul, and causes the one to be raised up and their sins forgiven. I don't think this is even authorizing as often it is quoted to be a public confession of sin. Jesus tells us how Sin is to be confessed. Sins that are against God are to be confessed to God. Sins that are against a brother are to be confessed to a brother. Sins that are committed publicly against the community of faith are to be confessed to the community of faith. And let's not forget those specific order. A sin that was not committed against the public but only against God is not necessarily to be named in the public. Our hearts are to be hearts that are stricken with conscience and remorse and deep, deep regret for our sin. It's the sin issue in your life that needs to be worked with. 
What is that besetting sin? What, does call, what sin is it that causes you to stumble, to fall, to be down, to be discouraged? It's a very sophisticated, but I think very biblical line of thinking in counseling, in biblical counseling that shows us the direct relationship between our depression, our discouragement, our weakness, our failing, and our falling and sin in our life, unconfessed sin. And sometimes the best place to count your sin and to recall your sin and to confess your sin is when you are down. I think God uses depression to bring us to ourselves. And if we medicate it the first time we have the first symptom, we lose that gift that God has given us. I think physical illness causes us to immediately move to th thoughts of our mortality and our finitude and to think of God and eternity. I think afflictions of sorrow and death come upon us. I think it is absolutely harmful, harmful to take this passage and to use it as a weapon against those that are really suffering unto death. One of the saddest things in my life was as my brother was dying with cancer over five years ago, he had people that he knew and friends that he had cultivated through the years and members of his own church who came to his bedside weeks before he died and urged him to confess his sin that he might be healed and urged him to have faith that he was not healed because of his lack of faith and because of his deep unconfessed sin. And my poor brother, I've never known a man in my life that was more humble before the Lord. And he poured out his heart. He confessed every sin. And he talked with me. He asked me to help him think of sins. Well, if anybody can help you think of a sin, it's a brother. <laughs> He'd sinned against me greatly in our life growing up. I know that. And I'd done worse to him. But a heart cleansed and pure and at peace remarkable peace. I said over and over, my brother died to the glory of God and he did it because he, he was flat of his back with a broken T5 vertebrae, paralyzed for 12 weeks before he died of cancer. And on his back, looking up, he had sweet communion with the Lord day after day, hour after hour. We wanted to put a big TV up. He said, don't do that. I've had enough politics and enough sports and enough news. He said, I want to lay here and think about the Lord, think about eternity. And, and he repeated that over and over, a resolve to make himself ready for the presence of God when the dying day came. And I think that's what the Lord does. He brings us to a point to where we've got to somehow realize in our souls We've got to be serious with the Lord. And when that sin is cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Christ and the loving, loving forbearance and grace and mercy of a righteous God, it is imputed unto you and worked out in you the righteousness of Christ. And I like the old authorized version where it says the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man 
work. 